Episode 14 of the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Just like basketball, the game of life is unpredictable. Some players end up in the pyramid, some don't. Talk to a State Farm agent and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. You know it was unexpected? Everything that happened in this 2007 Spurs Sun series that we're about to break down with Steve Nash. This was one of the most unexpected outcomes we had that decade. Talk to a State Farm agent today about combining your home and auto insurance and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected State Farm. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com, one of the world's last great websites, as well as The Ringer Podcast Network, where you can find awesome basketball content, including on my podcast, The Bill Simmons Podcast, The Ryan Rosillo Podcast, The Ringer NBA Show. JJ Reddick has a podcast with us, Vince Carter, a whole bunch of them. So go check it out wherever you listen to your podcast. Coming up, we're going to talk to Steve Nash. This is important, but first, I have a couple thoughts. Marvin Gaye never won a Grammy for What's Going On. The Wire never won the Emmy for Best Series. Pulp Fiction never won the Oscar for Best Picture. Steve Carell never won an Emmy for Michael Scott. Glenn Close never won an Oscar, period, but that's okay. All of them were critically acclaimed, and sometimes that matters just as much as winning an award. In 2008, I did a podcast with Chris Connolly. Whatever happened to that guy? When we knew Steve Nash's sons weren't winning the title again, Connolly declared that the sons were destined to be, quote, critically acclaimed, unquote. And he meant it as a compliment. He was right, of course. We remember them as the John Belushi or Kurt Cobain of basketball teams. Thrilling, creative, inventive, loved by all. Ultimately, they couldn't stay out of their own freaking way. Belushi and Cobain were derailed by drugs. The seven seconds or less sons were derailed by dreadful luck and indefensible roster decisions. And given the NBA's glaring talent glut in the mid-2000s, it's almost impossible to explain how they never won a title. It's worse than that. They didn't even make the finals, ever. Here's a team that stumbled into the incredible break of Dallas giving up Nash right as hand check rules changed and right as he was about to blossom into a two-time MVP. They had three of the league's best 15 guys in Phoenix. They had a balls-to-the-wall style that relied on faster pace, impeccable spacing, screen and rolls, small ball, lots of threes. You know, everything that actually became the advanced metrics revolution. All the stuff we're watching now. Yeah, that was what the Suns were doing. They never made a finals. It's the little things that can submarine a championship team. In the summer of 2004, right before they signed Nash, Phoenix dealt the number seven overall pick for a future Chicago first and some cash. Instead of grabbing possible number seven picks like Lou Aldang or Andre Iguodala on a rookie deal, they could add either, they spent $42 million on free agent Quentin Richardson. Don't worry, it seemed just as dumb at the time. One summer later, right after they had a nice little playoff run, got everybody excited, they decided that Atlanta's $70 million restricted offer for Joe Johnson, who hadn't even had like a real veteran contract yet, was a little too lavish. So they flipped him for Boris Diaw and two firsts, even though Johnson, Amari Stoudemire, and Sean Marion were easily the perfect blended teammates for Nash. In fact, if you go through basketball reference from 2005 through 2008, I defy you to find a better foursome on the same NBA team, you won't. Well, it gets worse. In 2005, a year after signing him, they salary dumped Richardson with a first rounder for Kurt Thomas so they could spend $24 million on Marcus Banks. They dumped a 2006 first rounder 
that immediately became Rajon Rondo. They never traded Atlanta's top three protected pick in 2007 when it was the best trade asset of 2007's deadline during a season when they won 29 of 31 games at one point. Naturally, that pick jumped to number three during the lottery, which meant they never got it. So they got nothing from that. Not even trade, not the actual player, zero. They traded Marion and Banks for Shaq to save money. They spent two first-round picks to dump Kurt Thomas's contract. You know, the guy they got for salary dumping Quentin Richardson. That one concussed decision, splurging on Richardson over just drafting a rookie like Iguodala or Dang, eventually cost them four, I repeat, four first-round picks. Looking back, it is a surreal train wreck of frugality and incompetence. And yet, Nash's sons made three conference finals and became the decade's most entertaining and beloved team a freewheeling basketball oasis in a decade marred by hero ball, melees, awful officiating, ugly low post play, and 10 to 12 quote-unquote superstars who never actually became super. Those sons also suffered some excruciatingly awful breaks. Johnson getting hurt in 2005, Stoudemire going down for all of 2006, and 2007 Spurs debacle that we're breaking down in this podcast with Steve Nash himself. But that's the way it goes sometimes. You don't win a championship, but you win something else. You win critical acclaim. You join an exclusive sports club with the Fab Five, the Air Coriel Chargers, Barkley's 93 Sons, Steve Prefontaine, Bernard King, Holland's 1974 World Cup team, Andy Reid and Mike D'Antoni. Maybe it's a membership you don't totally want, but hey, it's better than nothing. My name is Bill Simmons. This is the Book of Basketball 2.0. I like Shaq, Kobe's gonna attack. Larry, she's a three, quads playing that D. LeBron hits him with that steal, and you already feel. Pass it to Luke, yeah, he's gonna juke it, yeah, yeah. It's a book of basketball, yeah. It's a book of basketball, yeah. It's a book of basketball, yeah. It's a book of basketball. Sun Spurs game four, 2007. Steve Nash is here. You played in that game. You hadn't watched it since you played in it. I made you watch it and you texted me after and you said, I need a drink. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I almost brought a case of beer in here this morning, but I was a little late. Just, uh, it's amazing. Like I've definitely separated myself from my career. I think yeah. In order to like enjoy the rest of my life. And, you know, I had a moment last year with the Hall of Fame where you kind of revisit a lot of stuff, but it was all the kind of the positive stuff. And then turning that game on, which we won, the game you had me watch. Like, I don't know what it was, just, just, and I watched it on my phone and just, wa- just like turning it on and just taking myself back there. Like, my anxiety was off the charts. Like, right away, I was just like, I could, I don't know what it was. Maybe the, the loss, the the fr- feeling of frustration it all came right back and I was, so it was I ruined like, your week you, 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 there was a couple hours there where it took me like to be like what why am I feeling this way like well, what Mark Stein was surprised you even wanted to do this because he's he said you and Dirk are very similar in that mm. you just go forward yeah it's like oh something happened yeah. in the back I, I'm never thinking about that again true and you don't you're not on nba tv on a friday right. night at two in the morning watching no. you know an old Mavs game from yeah. 03 you've just that was it yeah funny enough this one didn't, hasn't been aired on uh <laughs> yeah so we should tell the story of this yeah 
uh, impossible to find this game. And I couldn't find it. I looked all over the place. I even looked on like illegal torrent sites and all that. And the only game that was available was game one of this series, which we're going to talk about. And somehow by a miracle, I found this dude, Lee Anuge, (laughs) (laughs) who had just put up a shitload of Suns games three years ago and the NBA hadn't seen him yet. And this had, when I sent it to you, 131 views. And it was the entire game four. Now, we have some theories about why this series might not be that available on YouTube, which we can talk about later. I want to set the tone, though. So you win the MVP in 05. The league changes. All of a sudden, they get rid of the hand check. It's a little more fast-paced, and everybody kind of embraces your son's team. Mm -hmm. Joe Johnson breaks his face, basically, in the playoffs. You end up losing the Spurs in five. Next season, here come the Suns. Amari gets hurt. He's out. You still make it all the way. How far? I think you went. You went to the Western Finals. I think you beat you beat the Lakers and you beat the Clippers. Yeah, and yeah. then uh, lost. To, and then you lost. You were you were a guy short. Yeah, lost to Dallas. Yeah, yeah, that's who it was. Uh, Roger Bell, I think Torres or Torres Calf in that series first game. And you're playing seven before he got hurt. Yeah, so that hurt. So then 07 is like here we go. And you had won two straight MVPs at that time. I thought 07 was your best season. So here's what I wrote. You had this game in March. You had this awesome game against Dirk. And this was kind of the MVP versus MVP battle because it seemed like Dirk was headed for it. And you had this awesome game and and you guys won. And I was noticing there was like a a demeanor change with you. Mm. Where I was like, man, he's just... I think he really wants us now. Like there's some sort of competitive thing that's flipped. So here's what I wrote. When Dallas eliminated Phoenix last spring, Nash probably spent a few weeks mulling over his career and everything that happened. This is the writer. This might not have happened. You know, he's gone on the beach. He thought about the two MVP awards, realized he couldn't accomplish anything more other than winning a title, thought long and hard about how to do it. Ultimately, cutting off his hair, feel the symbolism. Wow. Yeah. Again, the writer coming in and getting in the best shape of his life. Remember, he wore down the last two springs. That's actually true. You were in incredible shape in 07. You were in good shape the other two years, but 07, you were like, yeah, I have a comment on that after, but go on. Okay. Then he showed up for training camp, realized the Marion Stoudemire soap opera would be an ongoing problem. I don't even remember what that was. Realized Diaw was woefully out of shape. I remember that. Realized Marcus Banks wasn't going to help at all. That turned out to be true. And something snapped inside him. Exit Steve Nash. Enter icy Steve Nash. And he's been playing pissed off ever since. Eventually, everyone else fell in line. Did I make that up or is there some truth in that? This is this is the worst answer for a guest you you invite to your show, but I don't remember. You know, I, I really don't remember any of this. It, it, it all it, it all blurs blends into, into one, one for me. Like it's one series from oh five to right. to ten. You know, and I, I don't. I think you're probably in the ballpark. You know, obviously, like the hair is just you being witty and stuff. But I like. <laughs> Hair looks uh, great uh, now. Oh God, this is the best God. haircut you've I've been had. Waiting for a compliment. No, this is, this is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the, yeah, the hair in, in the game you made me watch it was almost. I was wanted to like scratch myself out of that, but it, it was. Uh, I was in great shape. I had to be to play at my size in my career. But I even that game, game four that you had me watch, I looked exhausted. Yeah, I looked exhausted. Like, you know, I I think I probably had good numbers. Found a way to w- we found a way to win the game, 
But like, I just look like I had no pep in my step. You know, I was trying to conserve in a sense, like strategize, like how can I pick my spots here? And it kind of brought me back to realizing like, I, I, I always, the tank was always almost on empty in the playoffs for me. I think because the way that our team played, I had a lot of responsibility to create and it worked for us. And we never found, we never found a secondary way to play for the backup point guard. Instead, yeah. we threw him in and tried to have him play the way we played when I was on the floor. And that, it, 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 and I'm not trying to say that it's not replicable or anything, but, I, you know, for me to play in the league, I had to play a unique way because I, I wasn't, I had, you know, innovation was a necessity, right? Like yeah. I had to innovate and because I couldn't, you know, out physical, out jump, be as big and strong and tall as these guys. So you know, we, we, we probably needed either a point guard who had his own identity or changed the way we played when I wasn't on the floor. And we never did that. I think that hurt us. We never found that backup. Um, and, and I think then I was always a little bit overburdened in a sense. Now, don't get me wrong. I wasn't like, Hey, we got to change this. You know, I was right in there trying to do whatever I could, but I do think that that was one of our flaws. And by the time we got to the playoffs every year, you know, I was, I was kind of hanging on and that's what, that's was the, one of the number one things that struck me right away. It was like, I just see like, wow, like, I feel like I move better now than I did in that right. series, you know, but you think that's the end of, you know, two or three or four conference finals in three or four years going back to Dallas and a lot of responsibility to create. And, and, and I just looked tired for lack of a better word. So this is something that seems to keep happening with great point guards, because I think it's happened to Chris Paul the last mm you know, during most of his career sure. too, where he was better in the regular season than the playoffs, mm -hmm. just from, yeah. from having a pep standpoint. And I think some of what teams have tried to do with Chris Paul was what teams were trying to do with you. And I really noticed this watching this game, the Spurs were like, don't let him breathe, mm -hmm. build a wall right in front of him all the time, pound him, trip him, kick him, knock him down when he's driving to the basket, use your fouls mm -hmm. and just try to wear him down. And that's basically what everybody's tried to do with Chris Paul too. And I think you saw it. You've been working with the Warriors the last couple of years. That's the book on Curry, too. Mm -hmm. Hit him with a two-by-four when he drives. Knock him down. Wear him down. 100%. And, and it's smart. Yeah. And, uh, the, and, and the games was more physical then. Even though we were starting to get into this player movement era, you know, as you can see, the game was slower and grindy and there was a lot more physical. You know, but they, the, the whole telecast, Bo, they were talking about Bowen just – hammering, cheap shotting, naming the yeah. balls and doing whatever he could. You know, that stuff just doesn't fly today. That's a suspension. That's like, you know, the refs are on top of that stuff, taking it out of our game completely. Mike D'Antoni used to always say, guys, play faster. It's less tiring. He's yeah. Like, if you want to play slow and let them wrestle you guys, you're going to be exhausted. Play faster. And, you know, and I think we we both agree, like, that was the the glass ceiling for the Suns teams is that we played a style that was thought to be revolutionary at the time, but really we should have doubled down. And Mike said this before, we should have played faster. We should have played smaller. We should have shot way more threes. We were just playing a style that suited our roster, suited our personnel. It was foreshadowing for the future, but we were, it, look, this game was a, was a totally a, a San Antonio Spurs game. It yeah. was played in their style, their pace, their speed. We beat them. You know, we got to 2-2, two -two, and then obviously we'll get into the suspensions and all that, but we're not going to beat them that many times playing that style. And, uh, 
You know, so I think it showed how much we'd grown that we could beat them on the road playing their style. But the, still, the deck was the, the um, deck was stacked against us, and we we had to go farther. But we had this glass ceiling where the game wasn't ready for that yet. Right. You know, we didn't value the analytics. We uh, we probably weren't even, you know, analyzing things to the extent we were now. We are now, or even you know, two or three years after 2007. So it, it's fascinating to look back and watch like, my, wow, why were we playing so slow? And we it's were funny. thought it was a fast team. I talked to Daryl Morey about this two days ago. I told him we were doing this podcast and he obviously works with Mike. And he said, Mike, when he watches those Suns games now, he gets so mad because mm. he sees all the things you guys should have sure. been doing. And at the time, it's like, wow, he's a revolutionary. Yeah. Look at all the three, all the threes the Suns are doing. You guys averaged 24 threes during the regular season, which at the time was a lot. Yeah, no, it's nothing. And you only made five in this game, which I thought was and incredible. Won. Yeah, won you won. But in 2007, this was about as far as you can push the pace. I think one of the rules that really helped, which they did after this series, a few years after, was the 14-second rule. Mm. Because that really made it hard, especially after offensive rebounds, teams would just pull it back out, right. reset. That was something the Spurs loved to do. Mm -hmm. And the pace now is just, you, you kind of have to keep up with it or, you, or you're going to die. And I think you guys would have thrived with that. Yeah. For sure. It's, I mean, it's a, I mean, Mike, I think Mike could sense it. You know, it was just, we were pushing against the trend, like the fans, the media, you can't win this way. And instead of doubling down and ignoring him going farther, you know, Mike was the one that was kind of ahead. I think he, he wanted, his instinct was to speed it up. But, you know, like it's just all of us, like, you know, the way I would have played today would be so different from the way I played. I grew up playing the game where people told you as a point guard, go five for seven, seven for 10 right. and get a, all your teammates involved, loving the game, feeling empowered. That's the way I approached the game. So I got more aggressive in the fourth quarter because I'm trying to win the game, but I didn't come out like guns blazing, try to, you know, you know, get 20 in the first half because I didn't think that would do my team any favors. Now we know numerically it just makes way too much sense and not enough sense. And so obviously there's a balance, the way you manage your team and run I'm, your club. I'm still pro your way though. There, I still think that's because, you know, Isaiah Thomas won two straight titles sure. doing that of – Sure. Everybody else for 42 minutes. Yeah. Let me handle the last six. Sure. And, and you were doing that for those Suns teams. Yeah. And I think there's a balance to be set, but I think I was too conservative shooting the ball. Like I should have walked into way more threes. I should have looked for more threes. It did seem like there were a lot, even just watching this game, there was, a, you could have taken 11 threes in this game pretty You know, if, if it was today, would have, no question. But yeah. at that time it was, you know, taking bad threes was kind of like a cardinal sin. Yeah. Now it's like, you know, I think it's gone too far. We take too many bad threes. I'm all for take a lot of threes, but I think those open mid-range shots are what give you better quality threes. So I think that's where the Warriors are great, taking those mid-range shots. They they lead the league in those, and that opens up. That makes the whole court, you know, something you have to cover instead of just the basket and the three-point line. Right. So I think there is a balance to be made in there. But, yeah, we would, we would play the game differently. It would have suited us more. And there was, like I said, I don't know if that's a good way to describe it, but like a glass ceiling for our train of thought or, or where the culture and society and the history of the game was at in that moment, and it hadn't been broken yet. And while we might have been a precursor to it, we didn't smash that window down. Right. And the irony is if you win this title, you would have. In a sense, yeah. yeah. It would have allowed us to take it further, right? We would have validated. So the legacy of this game and this whole series is – you get fouled, you're up three, Manu misses the layup, you get the rebound, 30 seconds left. You get fouled by somebody else, Finley, and then you're continuing to dribble. Corey comes over and, and body checks you. 
And here is Nash being chased, and they had him. Oh, look out! As Ori sent Nash flying, and Bell goes at Ori. Nash got up. He wants to go at Ori. The Suns did not appreciate the foul by Robert Ori. You have fouled by Finley first, yeah, right. and then Ori came in. I guess he didn't hear the whistle. Yeah. Well, I didn't. I don't think I did either because I tried to beat right. Robert, and he, he laid body me, checks he laid you into, into the, the thing. The thing. Yeah. You go flying. Then it felt like you sold an extra yeah. half split yeah. kind of second reaction to make bit. sure you got the you know, flavor too. The Spurs were the kings of that. Yeah. You know, selling it, being doing and Man, by the way, by the way, maximum respect. I'm not like yeah. complaining. They would, you know, they would cheap shot and then sell it that they got cheap shot or vice versa. You know, they were great at that. And I have respected like that's that's great gamesmanship it's yeah. great sport you know sporting it's a soccer thing it's a talent i mean whatever it is it's it's maybe it was a foreign thing that was adopted here but now it recently but uh maximum respect and so maybe i was like let me sell this for a second then i was just was got smart. pissed right <laughs> and you got up you're ready to like throw down yeah, i mean raja was already in there but then the big moment is amari and dio come off the bench mm. and i hated this when it happened that they got suspended i understand the letter of the law but my whole thing is like you're the leader of that team. You're the reigning two-time MVP. This is the biggest game of the season. You've just basically clinched the game by getting this rebound, and their 10th man just body-checked him in the scores table. Just as a teammate, my reaction is going to be to move toward you. Yeah. Like I think also there have been a lot of cheap shots. Yeah. You know, things that happened throughout the series, so it was like, not now this. And right. so their reaction was to jump up. To be honest, though, like it, what what was unfortunate about both of them is that I, I think that Amari and Boris were more interested in coming to me. That's what I mean. Than instigating, yeah. right? Like it's it's one thing if they're running and you can tell he's trying to grab something, he's going to grab the first person he can. But it was like they were running towards me, and man, what a terrible blow! <laughs> what was it like <laughs> rewatching it? Um, I mean, that part of it, there was nothing new. I was like. I think I was more, what hurt me more was just seeing the game, the environment, how close we were, how like a game like that, we won. We, sh we shouldn't have won the way the game was played. You know, no, we, Duncan fought, got we, in foul trouble. we defended, we held them under a hundred, I think like we defended well enough and we, you know, could outscore them in the, in the crunch. Like that was the growth and maturity that that team had taken from just a team that was playing fast and everyone said, you can't win. We put ourselves in that position. We probably should have taken it farther by playing quicker, shooting more threes. But having said that, we're right there and we're going home 2-2. And, you know, this is – I'm more frustrated in, like, the game itself than the conspiracy and the – you know, which we can get into. But, you know, that stuff to me is, like, I, that's out of my control, right? What's in my control was, like, God, just being a little bit better, uh, having a little better perspective of the big picture and what we how we were playing, and, and maybe just having I don't know where, but having a little more pep in my step somehow. Right. That's what eats at me. Not necessarily the conspiracy and the suspensions and that last play by Robert. Um, did you? When did you guys know that this those guys might actually get suspended? There was like a, a there was like a little rumor after the game, but you're also like, no way. Like that wasn't the spirit of the rule. Like they didn't, you know, there's no room. Like you're going to go on the court. Yeah. Right. Like there's, what is it? A yard or less from the seat yeah, to the three court. Feet. So it's like, you're, these guys are 6'10", right? You like, you turn, look around your teammates, you're going to put a foot on the court one. So yeah. Okay. They, they, 
you know, if they could have stayed off the court and got to, got to me, they probably would have. They, you know, went around the coaches or whoever's there. Like, it, it's just so unfortunate. Like, I guess what I'm saying, if there was two yards from the bench to the court, they probably wouldn't have gone to the court. Well, and also, I felt like they were running toward you and that's, not exactly. And, not, and that's uh, that's partly what I mean. Like, they were coming to me, so but they had to get around the coaches to come to me, and so like the whole thing it was, it was terrible, like, it's, unbelievable. It's, like it was, it was unbelievable, but it's something that shouldn't have happened, and we knew it at the time. And I think it caught David Stern at a really strange moment of his tenure, just in general, because you had the year before you had the Dwayne Wade all the free throws in the 2006 finals against Dallas and that thing's flipping and just in gen and the art test melee was in 05. And there was a sense that the commissioner was just trying to regain control of the league sure. in all these different ways. Seattle ends up, the Sonics end up leaving Seattle and going to Oklahoma city. He's involved in that. The so Donahue you're thing saying happens. it was a flex for him in a sense. I think he was flexing this whole part of the decade. Right. Like even the Donahue thing, well, that, they do that, this. That was right after this. There was the summer of 07. But, that he refed game three. He did. And, We're going to talk about that. And you sent me a clip about like it being the worst officiated game. Right. So he refed game three. So, and, do, so, but obviously, did the league have anything? Did they know anything about the investigation at this time? No, no, they didn't so, know until until June. And so July. he he, in a sense, wasn't so bothered by people saying that was the worst officiated game. No, but I think there was. I mean, I wrote after game three. This is what I wrote after game three. So you guys lost one hundred eight to one hundred one. So I wrote, congratulations to Greg Willard, Tim Donahue, and Eddie F. Rush. I had no idea who Donahue was going to become for giving us the most atrociously officiated game in the playoffs so far, game three, blah, blah, blah. Most of the calls favored the Spurs, but I don't even think the refs were biased. They were so incompetent. There was no rhyme or reason to anything that was happening. There was there was one play where Manu got called, and I went and watched it, actually. It was a shooting foul on Manu. He missed. The play started going up the court, and then they called the foul. And everybody kind of stopped, and it was like one of those. That was where the Don Donahue called. Yeah, right? Donahue called that one. So that's not great. And then uh, you had um, near the end after the game was over, they called Bowen on like a, just a touch foul on you. And Dean Tony had some of the best reactions, sarcastic reactions. That was one where he was like, "Oh, great! Now you're calling that." Meanwhile, Bowen had been hitting with a two by four the whole game. So the rest <laughs> were terrible. I wrote, "Not since the cocaine era from 1978 to '86." has the league faced a bigger ongoing issue than crappy officiating? Now, this is no idea the Don Hay thing's about to happen. But just in general, it's the league was in upheaval. And I think when you see what Adam has been able to do this decade, you kind of realize Stern definitely hung around too long. This is, we didn't talk about the Chris Paul, the canceled trade, all these different mm -hmm. things that happened where it just felt like the league was unraveling a little bit. And this was a perfect case, right? Where you need somebody who's in charge going, look, this is probably the finals. These are the two best teams in the league. This can't decide the finals. Steve Nash getting checked into the right. basket and support. The game's over. And two guys running toward him. This can't be what swings the finals, mm -hmm. but it's kind of what swung the finals. Now, there's a counter argument here that the Spurs were better than you guys anyway. They were up 10, five of the six games. Mm -hmm. In this game, they were in control of pretty much the whole game. Duncan got a fifth foul. And you guys scrambled back and you fought back and you got it. But this first team was really good. And they I think were. this if has you know, been unfair to them. I actually don't. When Duncan came out in that stretch, I thought that's where he went around. I, I, it, I think it stayed the same. It was like 10 points when he came back in or eight from 10 when he came but back then in. Pop left him, left him out like a minute too late. And by the he under three him. minutes, 
he still was out. And that's when you guys got made a run. All of a sudden it was two points. Look, the this the conspiracy stuff's fun. I don't look back on it like like I sitting here, this is not me having a wine fest, you know? Like right. I, I, I the Spurs maximum respect. Like Pop, Timmy is just He's out of this world. And in such a way that so many people didn't appreciate how right. he affected the basketball game. Like he made so much space for his teammates on both ends, took it away defensively and opened it up offensively. You know, unselfish. He could go get you 35 if you needed it. He could get you 18 and 18 boards and five blocks and just do all the things that aren't in the box score. Not to mention Manu and Tony. You know, Manu was quiet in this game. Um, he was. Tony he was had really good, good other games. But, um, you know, so the, the great, great team. And maybe they were better than us. It's, they were especially better than us the way the rules were, the way the game was played. You know, if you if you put it all, you know, in an equation, you might get, have to give them the edge just because the way the rules played, they had Timmy Duncan. You know, at that time, his impact on the game was so big. Um, you could go into the low post still. Nowadays, you know, it's it's almost... You know, it's just you don't get you don't get money back on going into the post because the rule changes. You know, the three second defensively and the way people can zone and get back, and it's harder to it's harder to, you know, draw double teams and kick it out. Um, Conspiracy is the wrong word for the series. Yeah. I actually just think it was incompetence. Yeah, I don't think those guys should have been suspended. That's that. The game three, there is a YouTube video with all the calls from game three that's somehow still on YouTube. I thought they were bad for both sides, but in general. The problem with what happened here is that you guys had game seven at home, mm -hmm. but we never got there right. because game five, you lose Dia, you lose yeah. Stoudemire, and you had a valiant effort in that game. You lose by three. I think we were, I think we gave the first time the Spurs led in that game. So we, we, we had two bigs. It was, you know, Amari and Boris. And then after that, it was like Sean, Marion, right? And Kurt Thomas. Yeah. Sorry, we had Kurt. Kurt was great. I mean, Kurt was good that series. Kurt was great, but like Kurt, um, you know, he's good next to Amari, you know, next to Boris. You can't run bigs, screen and rolls right? with Kurt. We, we, we got away with a lot of it because they were kind of staying with me on the screen and roll. So he got a lot of 15 footers. But, you know, he, he was a guy at that stage of his career was really good next to a, a good mobile big. Going back, I think we could have changed a lot of the way we did. We yeah. weren't ready. The game wasn't at that place yet. We, we could have swung, I think, some things in our favor. But... I have no problem with someone saying the Spurs were just better than you. But it was also one of those series where nothing fell for us. The nose in game one. Game right. One. Let's, talk, let's talk about, so this series, game one, you lose at home. And you lose because you collide with Parker with three minutes left. You're down one. You stay in. You actually hit a three. I watched the last few minutes. But then... They can't stop the the cut. I mean, it, it looks it's like paper like mache. Knows <laughs> it's like in hockey, you're just out there bleeding <laughs> right, on everybody. Right. But they keep putting more and more band aids, and then finally, it's like seeping. Yeah, it was down. disgusting. So with a minute left, they have to take you out, and they're down one, and you don't play in the last minute of the game, and they end up losing. They get they have two possessions. They don't score on either of them. Just so unlucky. Yeah, I mean that was another bounce that didn't go our way. Like could have gone in and maybe stitched it up but we were thinking well, I can't, when it happened there was only like three minutes or so left in the yeah, game I don't know so you're thinking if we go in and stitch it up the game's over so right. we're trying to like and for whatever reason right on that thin part of your skin on your nose it wouldn't stop bleeding to Pop's credit he was like let him play I remember when I was really? trying to check in and they were like there's still blood coming out Pop was like let him play and you know you know you could say well he knew they couldn't let him play he was just saying that but I, I love Pop for that you know he's like 
He wants how did, how to could compete. they not put enough band-aids on this? Then why didn't they have Vaseline in boxing? Oh, they just like slammed you know Vaseline maybe on we, your nose. Maybe we should have gone the boxing route, but uh, it just for, it wasn't like anyone's fault. You're trying to solve this thing, thing so quickly. You think you got it licked. I go back out. I'm right back in the game. And then it starts seeping again. It's like, well, here we are trying again and back and forth. But and you didn't break your nose or anything. It was just like a no, weird it was a cut, bad right? Cut. It was just a really bad cut. I mean, yeah. I broke it plenty of times. At that time, it was just a bad part of it, like where your skin's really thin. So, yeah, so that was dumb. You lose that <laughs> one. You kill them in game two by 20. Game three is the crazy Tim Donahue game. You lose by four, uh, by seven. You win game four. But then game five, 88, 85, you were six for 19. They that was a classic. They were just beating the shit out of you the whole game. And and, and uh, slowing it down. And 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 they they did what they had to do. But in our in our um, what another thing that just makes you like die is that I don't think they got their first lead until the last minute of right. the game. So you we, wore out. You were playing six guys. And I think. We hung in there. We were small. We were we played a great game for, you know, 47 minutes and then they were. So then good. game six. You have everybody back, big revenge game. And the unfortunate thing is the Duncan Manu Parker, they scored 87. Like that's their best. When those three guys were going together, they're kind of unbeatable. Historical team. Yeah. And those were, you have Duncan. This was his last like truly great year where he's just still Tim Duncan. Mm -hmm. You have Manu has become Manu at this point and Parker has become Parker. Parker was probably the yeah. toughest scorer to cover yeah. at that position. And they had all three of them going, and that's that. They're yeah. home. You're not going to beat them in that game. Yep. Um, so you lose that 114, 106, and that's it. The legacy of the uh, 2007 Suns, I think, was this series, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And I think some some stuff gets lost. Amari came back from microfracture surgery from the previous year, which is a surgery that most of the time did not go well, and people were not the same. And he came back the first couple weeks, and it was pretty unhappy, right? Mm -hmm. Like wasn't, didn't feel right. Him and Marion weren't getting along. There's stuff going on. It's like, oh man, the Suns thing's going to end. And then boom, you guys go 31 and two mm. over a 33 game stretch. And the only two losses, overtime to Washington. I was which, like, I got a story about that game. Yeah, so Arenas makes a three to send it to overtime. So you lose that. And then Dallas, Dirk hit a game winner at the buzzer. Those are your two losses in 33 games. That was a really great stretch. What's the NBA record? Well, it's 33. And the the modern record, I think, was the 27 Miami did. Right. But you guys were just, and I remember basketball was not really that fun that year. It was that there was a little bit of a talent cut, um, or talent uh, dearth, I guess is the word. And there's just like the Pistons were still there. They weren't fun to watch. Um, LeBron wasn't really LeBron yet. Mm -hmm. um, Dallas was fun. You guys were fun. The Spurs, everybody was tired of. And you guys were the best league past him. It was like the best story for two months. Was like, this is, I wish everybody played like these guys. And that was how that, it went. That, uh, I mean, I'm taking it off track, but that, uh, that Washington loss too. Yeah. We went to play in Denver. Uh, it got snowed out, but we were snowed in Denver. Yeah. So we, we didn't actually play the game. We were in Denver for three days. We played Washington. We, they finally said, you can drive to Colorado Springs and fly home the day of the game. So we landed at Sky Harbor in Phoenix and drove straight to the arena to play Washington, who'd been in Phoenix for two days. Oh, my God. After being, you know what I mean, being and stuck in the them anyway. and lost in overtime. Jesus. Uh, um, yeah. Another thing with you guys. Oh, so you won 61 games that year, which I'd forgotten. Hmm. You averaged 110 points a game first in the league. Um, 
you had your best season statistically. You were basically 19 and 12, 53% shooting, 46 from three, 90% free throw. So you were a 51, 40 or 50, 40, 90 guy. You made two threes a game. Your true shooting, a stat that I don't totally understand was 65.4%, which is apparently very high. Um, what I was stunned by your usage rate. Do you know what usage rate is? I've heard the term. I haven't studied it, so I'm not. Your usage rate was 22.9, hmm. which means you did not have the ball. It's basically measures all the scoring positions in a game if somebody was involved, either scoring or assisting or whatever. So like the crazy Westbrook MVP season, he was like 40%, mm, you know? Wow. And they get the current guys, Sure. the bigger, the, the James Harden, he's like 39%. 22. 22.9, which is always, by the way, where the legend Larry Bird was. You know, he liked to spread it around. He liked to get everybody involved. I like where you're going with yeah. this. Let's keep this going. Um, this is also where I wrote, you're going to like this. He's starting to resemble Gretzky during his Edmonton days. Wow. I think so I must have been now. high when I was writing. Yeah, so this, this is fantastic. Not only does he keep finding guys for layups, Dunks and wide open threes. He's finding them at consistently impossible angles. I've never, ever seen from anyone around the point guard position like this on a day-to-day -day basis. You did revive this position a little bit because in the late nineties, early two thousands, it became a scoring position. Mm -hmm. And the guys I grew up with who were the Isaiah types and the tiny Archibalds and the, I'm going to dominate this game, but I'm getting everyone involved. It started a shift toward that Stefan Marbury type of guard where an arenas where it's like, I'm shooting 25 times a game and I might also pass to you guys. Right. And you were kind of this oasis over here. Mm -hmm. Even Tony Parker, who I loved, but he was a scoring point scoring guard. Scoring point, yeah. Um, who else was, were there anybody in that else in that era that you were like, oh, that guy plays like me? Well, not, we didn't oh, Jason like Kidd, me, I guess. I was going to say, one. Jason, yeah. I, you know, we didn't play the same way, but had that same sort of mentality in a sense. Right. You know, I was more of a shooter. He was more of a physical presence, but we both, we, wanted to pass the moment we woke up, you know. And you're part part distributor, part therapist. Yeah. Because you're navigating all the stuff yeah. going on in that team. Because you had, you know, Amari, who I know you loved, but, yeah. you know, he was a he was a modern basketball player. He sure I he mean, liked to get scoring his points. We had, you know, we had our personalities and issues and moments where guys were unhappy, but uh, we kept it together for the most part. Um, and marrying somebody who would have been the best yeah, player on 15 sure. other teams and was sure. your third best player. Yeah, I mean, that was hard on him sometimes. You know, he he didn't like that at times. But, you know, we held it together. I, I think, you know, the point guard position, it's almost like th that change, like you said, from 99, 2000, whatever, those guys who were like score first point guards, it's almost like they were too soon. Yeah. Like their teammates were ready for that. Their teammates were kind of like... You know, right. F you on this. Yeah. But nowadays you have, that's the way you have to play. If you're a, you know, a guy who can score, you got to try to be aggressive and score. But it's like socially we were ready for that. Right. And so that transition happened. And I think that's part of the reason maybe they were a little bit down on the league in that era. You know, there's a lot of guys that were pass or shoot first point guards that people had a hard time loving. I, I, Sure, there's a corner that loved all those guys that could score, Steve Francis, and you go down the line. But he's another one, another one, you know, that yeah. could really score. But if those guys, you know, you know, the, I don't think socially we'd accepted the power of a point guard being a score first guy like we do today. And so now it's almost like assumed and expected, maybe too much. And they were maybe, maybe a little bit early. I do feel like there was a Jordan shadow because we grew up, or you know, that generation. 
when they fell in love with basketball, Jordan was the guy. And it was a lot of like clear out guys that got this. And then you look at all the guys that came after him, T-Mac, Vince, yeah. um, Kobe. So you had those guys basically doing Kobe imitations, Paul Pierce. And then you also had the point guards who were like, yeah, clear out guys, I right. got this. And you have also, that's what's going on in AAU. That's the first generation of, in AAU, the point guard is the guy who controls the ball all the time. And the traditional old school point guard was kind of. Yeah, distributor. That guy was gone. Mm. I remember Jose Calderon came in from whatever year he was in. It was like, oh, this guy, this is yeah, fun. There was a few guys like that. Yeah. I'm I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I can't think of them. But there's right definitely now, more than two, but right. yeah, there was, yeah. you knew was, everybody in the list. Transitioning out, right? Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate. I think there's still a place for it in today's game. It's just, there, it's just not the way guys are growing up these days. They're just not growing up the way I grew up, where it was, like I said, go five for seven and get your teammates involved. Nowadays, it's like, you better get up 25 shots tonight. Right. If you, if like you were seven for 10 in that last game that you lost in the game six, and I feel like now you would take shit for that. Yeah. Like in the talking head yeah, shows, only they said, took, like, Steve know, Nash, 10 yeah, shots. Yeah. Where was he? How many points did I have in, the, in 10 you shots? You have a great game. You're yeah. like a really efficient. Right. You know, they were double teaming you over <laughs> right. midcourt basically. But yeah, I think you probably had like 19, something like that. Right. Um, one more legacy of this uh, Suns team, which we we hit on a little bit earlier. It was a very modern team. I think if you had a time machine and you just took this team that you had in 07 and you put them right now, it completely makes sense, right? You have your rotation was you, Marion Stoudemire, Boris Diaw, the kind of big that, Versatile. Everybody's like looking for now. Could play a five and a four. He four can, that can play make. Couldn't shoot threes back then, but you would have taught him to. Barbosa, very 2019 type yep. of player. Raja, the three and D guy everybody wants now. Nobody even kind of realized what that was in the 07. He was 41% from three, by the way. James Jones, 38% mm -hmm. from three. And then Thomas, like the classic guy yeah. who can come in and, Smart, and defend. physical. That team would win 55 games right now. Easy. I mean, not not in the current age you are, but. <laughs> <laughs> that hurt just hearing uh, you say that. I was so into this team. I wrote Phoenix's top six. This is how I wrote this in March. Has surpassed anything we've seen since Magic, Kareem, Worthy, Cooper, Scott, Thompson, or Bird, Parrish, McHale, Johnson, Ainge, Walton. Just for like, you always had five guys out of that six that were like, oh, these guys. Um, I was really high on Barbosa. Why, why do you think he never reached his full potential career-wise? Yeah, was I it? think you make a good point. He, If he had a, had um, his prime during today's era, you know, maybe he had a little bit of a different career. But, uh, you know, he was always just torn. I think he, he played in an era or his young days to prime were an era where people wanted you to be a point guard or a two guard. And he was kind of a point guard's body at a two guards game. Yeah. And it, it would never really reconcile. Whereas today, I think there's a lot more like, no, 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 just let him be, let him play, let him play a role. Whether he brings it up or he runs the wing, let him score, let him attack, let him be quick. And we'll build a team that suits those things. Um, but back then it was like, oh, he, he's not a great decision maker. Uh, you know, he, he turns it over and Things that it should be like, okay, let's let's put him in positions where he's putting the ball up in the air to shoot instead. Now you of just have him in the right corner. It's, you know, yeah, you can play in the corner. He can be attacking closeouts. He can, you know, push the ball in transition and and try to go all the way. But you can try to like work with his his you know maybe his shortcomings. Back then it was like uh, it was you know 
everyone was so down on it. And, and I think it, it just never really allowed him to reach his potential because, I mean, he was as fast as they, they came. Um, he was stronger than he looked. He could put his shoulder in through you, get to the basket, and he was a good shooter. Yeah. You know? So it's too bad that he, you know, it's the era, it just didn't. Well, nowadays, you would have played Marion and Stoudemire as your four or five. Yep. And you would have just had you and Raja and Barbosa, and you probably would have had two other six foot five shooters. And that just how, would have been how you played. Right. And if Stoudemire got tired, put Kurt Thomas in for him. And that's it. And just we're going and we're taking 100 shots or 95 or whatever it is and trying to score 120 points a game. You had the team to do it. The other legacy, I'm going to skip. So, that point is just so amazing to watch that game and see. I know. Like that we, that why, you had the, the why, materials. Why are we playing like this? <laughs> like, why, like everyone thought we were playing like this. Now looking at it, it's like we were playing like this. All right, the holidays are over. January is here. That means we have a lot of gambling to do. NFL round two, college football national championship, the NBA in full swing, if you're excited as I am. Check out FanDuel Sportsbook, America's number one online sportsbook for a reason. They've got all the bets you could want. They've got a great, easy-to-use app, new promotions every day. And once you win, you get your cash fast, fast. I'm stuttering with the Fs. It's so fast. FanDuel is giving their new users their first bet risk-free. You can place any bet within seven days of signing up. FanDuel Sportsbook will refund you up to 500 bucks in site credits. If you don't win, for instance, you could do a little, you could do the Celtics-Lakers game next Monday, maybe take the Celtics on the road, could parlay them with uh, the Ravens just to win, just to beat the Titans. I wouldn't recommend that. I'm actually afraid of the Titans. You can mix sports. You can do a little LSU-Clemson, whatever you want. I personally would recommend I would do the Chiefs and I would do the Ravens, whatever that money parlay is. And then throw the Celtics in there and the Lakers because I think they're going to beat the Lakers. That's going to happen. When was the last time your bookie gave you a do-over? Didn't think so. To claim your risk-free bet, download the FanDuel Sportsbook app from the iOS App Store or visit fanduel.com slash Android. Be sure to use promo code BSBOOK so they know we sent you. Must be 21 present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Indiana. Site credit non-withdrawable expires 14 days after receipt. Terms and restrictions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. The ownership front office stuff from 0405, I mean, it's kind of amazing you guys didn't win the title because it wasn't just that you had you and Marion and Stoudemire, but you had all these other assets. Like you had Joe Johnson. He's in the big three now, killing it 15 years later. You had him when he was like a baby. Yeah. And he was like literally the perfect. Yeah fourth piece for you guys it, it was tough ownership was new yeah they i think i was their first signing bought the team in 2004 and you know i think we had the we traded away the picks that ended up being like luol dang and rajon Rondo. so i had that so you so what's ironic about this whole thing is that they actually did spend money they just kind of spent it on the wrong people and didn't realize that year they paid quentin richardson who was good for you that first season mm -hmm. But they gave him 42 million, which was a lot back then. But then they dealt the number seven pick for Chicago's 06 pick. And I think cash. And available at number seven was Dang and Igudala. Now, if you just take an Igudala and he made 30% what Quentin Richardson, like nowadays we would know how to do that. And I feel like 15 years ago we didn't. I might have raised my hand and we're like, why don't they just take one of these guys, but you could have Iguodala on a rookie contract right. for your entire prime in Phoenix. Um, then you had the Joe Johnson deal. So that deal, 
that turned out to be Diao um, and two number ones, right? One of those number ones, I had totally forgotten this during that 07 season was the Atlanta number one that seemed like it was going to be like a top five pick, but it was top three protected. So you finish that season, you get screwed over by the, the whole series and all the bad luck from that. And then Atlanta lands in the top three and you don't get the pick. And that was like, Mike Conley went fourth. Right. Like you've just been like, all right, we'll take Mike Conley. That's my yeah. bet. You talked about yeah, like about not having a yeah. Back. And I don't know where it was, but I think Rondo was one of those years we traded that pick. You traded that pick for cash, basically. A perfect right. person to to play my role when I was off the court. Just guy getting in the seams and playmaking, running the break. Um, you know, he could have transitioned to be the starter too as I aged. Do you want to hear the entire <clears throat> legacy of this, just quickly? <laughs> Did you have a beer around here? <laughs> so you trade the number seven pick for Chicago's 06 pick which became Rondo, but you traded that to Boston for Cleveland's 07 first round pick. And then a year later, you sold that pick for cash. Mm -hmm. So you had, you could have had Iguodala, you could add Rondo. That one's tough because that, the, the big picture point is like, it's kind of impossible right. with all the assets you had. Sure. You should have won a title one of those years. Cause I don't even feel like the league was that strong. San Antonio was the best team. They could have easily won three. So anyway, we're skipping over that. I don't want to send you in a tailspin. Um, we're going to just quickly, before we get to the categories, just a quick recap of this game. Fourth quarter, nine minutes left. San Antonio up 10. Duncan offensive foul. Fourth foul goes to the bench. Get back a little bit. Um, Amari gets his fifth foul. Duncan gets his fifth foul. You're up. You're down seven with four minutes left. And then you make the run. Um, cut it to three. They have to put Duncan back in. And then you're just going back and forth, back and forth. Your last two baskets that give you the lead and ice the game came off half court, you driving behind the back passes to Amari Stoudemire. I just want to point that out. <laughs> two times. You're down low and you did the, nobody does that anymore. Are there behind the back passes in the NBA anymore? I think so. Who does uh, it? I don't know. I mean. I feel like it, you took that with you. It's funny, you know, watching that game, I did that a lot. Yeah. A lot of pick and rolls where they stayed two with me. That was, you know, just. I, I don't know. Look at the angle. There's two guys in front of me. Instead of giving them a chance to deflect it, I could get it on the money this way, that it gave him the most time to to get a shot off before the rotation came or before the guy could recover. So it just made perfect sense. Well, you also had the peripheral vision, though, because you could be going this way but see Omari yeah. like over here. I which, had to have something. I was yeah. 175 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so then you go up three, and, and you it was shocking to watch you guys shut down the, uh, you really had a nice defense there the last like four plus minutes. All right. So we're going to the categories. Um, there's, there's a really nice sequence in the third quarter. Ash behind the back. Stoudemire scores going right at Duncan. 100 to 97 Phoenix. The Spurs call for time. Well, both Stoudemire and Nash have been through an awful lot tonight. Nash with the turnovers. Stoudemire with the foul trouble, but they are teaming up to make huge plays here late. Stoudemire going right at Tim Duncan, who has five fouls, and watch the reaction from the Phoenix bench. It's 70-59, and then it's like eight, nine straight baskets, and it feels very 2019-ish. Mm. There's threes, yeah. there's slashing kicks. Um, I would encourage people to watch that before this game gets pulled down off YouTube. Um, but it, it, it is amazing. Other than that, this game was ugly. It's pretty ugly. Like that it's, third it's quarter amazing to watch. It's alarming to watch. Like, well, I also think this happens in the playoffs, though, when the intensity sure. and 
I don't know, the stakes get higher. I just think people are more tentative and things slow down and it, it, it is, the way the Spurs are so good too at bogging down and and shrinking the court and taking that stuff away and being physical. You know, it's it's not the you can't quite do that nowadays. You know, yeah. just the way the the rules are and the way the game's played. So you're down five, coming out of a timeout. Seven minutes left. Duncan's on the bench, and you're on a five-zero run. Steve Kerr, who I think is the best color guy ever, comes out of the timeout and he senses it. He, he starts talking about mental toughness, how this has been a big thing for you guys. How can we break through? You know, like the last level mm -hmm. to be a champ is like, all right, you're on the road. This is, if, if we win this game, right. this is like the final checkpoint for us if we can get through. So he says, quote, A lot of talk yesterday about mental toughness and how the Suns had to break through and how it wasn't so much about physical toughness and retaliating for Bruce Bowen's antics, but more about, you know, staying through adversity and continuing to play. And I think Phoenix has done that here tonight. But this is, a, I think, a bit of a watershed moment for this club. You know, can they break through? There, there's always a, a moment, a defining moment for teams that are contenders where they try to break through against a championship-caliber team. And we're going to see if Phoenix can possibly make that breakthrough here tonight. And he was right, because over those next seven minutes, he took control of the game. And I think I would recommend watching um, the last seven minutes if I was rewatching this game. What's aged the best is the next category. I forgot how much I love the screen rolls with you. Did you, who was doing that before you with Amari and Marion? Because I feel like we'd seen it in international basketball and I was always jet lagged. Why can't our guys do this? And you're Canadian. You don't count as our guy either. But, um, but what, who did you learn that from? Or was that just like a soccer yeah, thing? Yeah, uh, I think it. You know, it it was just an amalgam of all my experiences, and I, I, you know, definitely soccer had a huge influence on me. You know, what is it? Um, necessity is the father of invention, right? I, you know, I had to figure it out. I had to be innovative and find a way that I could impact the games and grow as a player and raise my ceiling because I wasn't gonna, you know, outrun or outjump people or or be big and strong. So how could I use my skill and coordination? You know, right. I was athletic in those ways, balance, coordination, creativity. I had to try to be really, really good at those things because I was average or worse at some of the physical attributes. So pick and roll is one of those things that through my career, it became a bigger and bigger part of the NBA. And it, thank you. And it, it. Were it you just, doing that as much in Dallas? I mean, I, you, uh, we didn't like, do were you it, doing that with Dirk? Not so much because Dirk was more of a popper. Yeah. So there was a lot of Kurt Thomas pops, but, you know, Sean and Amari are much better rolling. And I think Mike was great at, he wanted them to roll because then they could suck the defense in and I could start to, to, to you know, be aggressive and, and collapse the defense and try to find three-point shooters or make them pay. And so that was it. By getting those guys to screen, we, he, would all, he would try to get them to screen on the bottom side of my guy so they'd have to chase me over. So now we could try to create a five on four or three on two or two on one in different parts of the Did court. Did you have any idea when you signed with them that they would be that perfect for you? I thought this, I love this personnel wise for me, but who knows? We were yeah. still picked to come 13th in the West that year right. or whatever, I, you know, whatever it was out of the playoffs. Um, but, you know, Mike, Mike's brilliance in a lot of ways, and, and it's an amalgam of his experiences in Italy and in the NBA, ABA, all that stuff. But he saw us playing pickup together in Phoenix in September and was like, 
I see something here. I don't know if anyone else does, but I think this is really good and no one's going to guard this. And so he encouraged and developed and kept opening up one. Me, I love to just push it hard and transition and make plays. Yeah. He's like, don't ever look at me for a play. Go do that every time. And if you can't do that, you know, get the let's get the floor space. And, and then so he just made some great details like screen on the bottom side to encourage the guard to go over instead of under. And at the time, you know, why wouldn't we want him to go under where I could just shoot a lot of threes? But at the time... He, I think there was a balance that you won by me not taking 15 threes. The fact that I was in the paint, I could score, I could draw and kick, I could drop to Amari, you know, whatever it was, we could play swing, swing. All those things put a defense in a really difficult position where they, it was cat and mouse. They didn't, you know, if they, they took away my pull up or runner or penetration, Amari gets a dunk. If they don't take it away, I'm pulling up and I'm shooting over 50%. You probably should have pulled up more. Exactly. So, so we did this 03 rewatchables about uh, Spurs Lakers. Mm. And there's this pivotal play when they run your play with Parker and Duncan. And this is like a really kind of sloppy, ugly game. And they run this play and it's just like, oh yeah, that, that just got Tony Parker wide open 12 footer. And you're watching going, why didn't you guys do that every time? You had Tony Parker, Tim Duncan. By the time we get to 07, they've watched you guys do it. And now that's half of their offense and they're running it with Manu. I do feel like it was the most influential innovation just from like a half court offense thing of this century, mm -hmm. right? That it's been ripped off. You watch yeah. basketball now, every single team is doing it. You know, Stan Van Gundy did it in Orlando a lot. Yeah. You know, they had Dwight and Hito. Yeah. And Hito could run the point, Shamir could run the point. And you have Dwight rolling to the rim, which is impossible. And you have shooters everywhere else. So we, we ran, we had the same sort of. You know, I mean, everyone's team is uniquely different. But Mike had some of those things. He made the corner guys run to the corner. Back in those days, they wanted you to cross a lot to kind of confuse, you know, get the defense moving. Yeah. Mike was like, if you're way down early, cross. But he goes, wherever, if you're not, I just want you guys to end up behind, like behind the backboard in the corner. It's just that extra yard of space. or Because the natural tendency for a wing a corner guy is start creeping up because you want the ball. Yeah. And you feel lost in the corner. Mike was like, you're going to get the ball if you stand at the concession stand because they're going to lose you and they're going to get caught trying to overhelp or be in a bad position. You're going to put your man in a difficult position if you're way down on the baseline. If you start creeping up, he's in a place where he can guard two for split seconds. He can stun and recover. He can make things crowded, make everyone's job harder. And you're not going to get a clean look or you're not going to get a good closeout. So Mike put them way down in the corner, which I think helped open it up. He, you know, he, he wanted the screen on that bottom side. He wanted quick decisions. You know, having said all this, we could have done it so much better. Mike will tell you. Let's, yeah. We won't get into things that, and I don't just mean like the socially, the game wasn't ready for it. Even like our personnel had some issues that on the one hand were brilliant. On the other hand, it's like we couldn't see the simple thing. So we, we you know, I, Give we're a little me one bit example. Like just more three-point shooting? That would have helped. But I, like, for example, like, you know, the, the, this is the saddest thing for, in a sense about Amari Stoudemire for me is Amari was his feet and his hands and his athletic, like his, the way his feet, you know, he had unbelievable feet for a big guy, unbelievable hands, electric athlete, could catch and dunk. He was so, so good. He could shoot. Amari though was a kid that went to nine high schools, didn't play in college. Like his basketball education was late. Yeah, And so he was a guy that had a hard time in isolations, not because he couldn't beat his guy, because he couldn't read the help. He also, on the roll, had a hard time reading the help to get the corner guy. 
the great irony, unfortunately, with Amari is he figured all that out in 2010 when we went to the play the right. Lakers in the finals and started to become like where I thought, wow, he's taking a step here and he's unbelievable. And he got better defensively. And that was when his knees were going. And his knees were going yeah. and he goes to the Knicks and he, and he was outstanding in New York for whatever many months. And then his, so it's like when his education kicked in and he started to really learn the game, his knees. I remember you gone. telling me that year when we were emailing and you were like, um, Amari is something clicked with that guy. He's, he, he really figured out, he started to perceptually and I think innately understand where the help was coming from mm. and make the corner pass when a guy would come over to take a charge on him. He could see, he, he could take his time in one-on-one situations and know when the help's ebbing and, ebbing and flowing. So if the help's in the middle of the lane, don't go now. The help starts to go back out to cleanse themselves, go. Right? right, things like that. He started to get so dialed in that he took his game to another level, and it might not have shown in the in his numbers, but in the key moments, he took a jump. And and the poor he guy. He was also unsophisticated in the early days with what defensively, like he got sure. in foul trouble in this game. He was always like a split second late on sure. rotations. And I think by the time you got to 2010, better at that too. It's funny. I had him for what stage the best. I just think he's been lost now mm -hmm. in in the recent oh, was, NBA history. He, he, so imagine him to today. This. He would have been shooting threes. He'd have been unguardable. He'd have, he'd have, you know, unfortunately, like I said, he learned to play make a little bit once his knees were gone. Yeah. So he could have been. But listen to this career, though. This is a seven year stretch. He threw out 06. He was second team All NBA in 05, 08, 09, 10, and 11. Wow. And he was first team All NBA in 07. So the six years he was healthy in that seven year stretch, he was a top 10 NBA player. First and team, I don't think people would have that. First team All-NBA after a micro, the year after a microfracture. During a year with Tim Duncan and, mm. and uh, KG mm. and yeah, think he, all the dudes that were in there. Uh, I forgot how good yeah. he was, but especially this version, like kind of the younger, raw Amari when the screen rolls and just, yeah. he kind of would take it to Duncan. Like he had some big offensive games against Duncan. You know, he, he knew the one thing he had, the thing he had over Timmy was quick feet. And yeah. so he, if Timmy wasn't set, and he could get Timmy moving, and he could attack him on the move, it was, it was over. He had one move that you won't be able to see if you're listening to this podcast, but when he would go into the body and kind of fall to the side and do that little one-hand yeah. double clutch shot, it was kind of unstoppable. I really liked his game. Another awesome. thing I liked about this, well, you didn't like this as much, but um, I do really feel like Duncan, Manu, and Parker, their ages were different. Mm -hmm. This was probably the one year where it was the best version of the three together. All three were kind of in their prime. Yeah, right yeah, yeah. It was whatever the Venn diagram is, it collided. Um, the Bo and Roger Bell combo. Mm. I wrote that Bruce Bowen was, uh, that Roger Bell was Bruce Bowen after two shots of tequila and a slap to the face. <laughs> That's good. You should write he more, was, Bill. <laughs> he was an angrier yeah. kind of you talking to me version yeah. of Bruce Bowen. Bruce Bowen was just sneaky doing yeah. stuff, but always like, Bru I didn't Bru do it. What are you talking about? Yeah, Bruce was um, cagey. Yeah. Intelligent with what he was trying to do. Like, you know, he was pushing the boundaries with me because he wanted to see where he could get me off my game. Or Roger, you, you got mad a few times. In yeah, for sure. yeah, for sure. I think sometimes though, I calculatedly got mad to show like, I, oh, like it wasn't yeah. and, and everyone, him, everyone can, now's the moment I'm going to stand up for myself. Now's the moment you need to see this. Like I couldn't just, I, I don't know. I, maybe I was wrong for doing that, but there were moments where I tried to do that. I, that. Looking at that game seven, I also looked like so like 
overly trying to control my emotions or be strategic with my emotions because of my, I was tired. Yeah. And I, and that's the shame for me, like that it wasn't a full out emotional. It was like, okay, you got to conserve and pick your spots and win the game when you get a chance. Not like, I'm going 100 miles an hour. I'm going to try to win this game from start to finish. Um, so what was he doing? He was he was well, stepping on your feet. Yeah, I mean, he was he, every, every, you everything. All, and all and like time. like I said, respect. I mean, I remember one time I held the ball, was holding the clock to run it down for last second quarter, and like he was just slapping my arms. I looked at the ref like, and the ref was like, "Just play," and I'm like. <laughs> You're you're watching him slap my arms. Right. Like, he's pushing the boundaries with the refs too. And yep. and like I said, full respect. Like that's that was what made him what he was. Otherwise, he'd have been an average three and D guy. Instead, he's a three and D guy we talked about. Shoots out the corner three and defended the best player and, and did a good job of it. Um, I mean, you look at my numbers in the series, I don't think you'd say he slowed me down. But did he wear me down? Right. Maybe. Right. Like maybe I maybe my, it could have I could have had a bigger series, and maybe that's the difference. I don't want this to get about me because it's a team thing. And I, I hope everyone understands like that, that, that more than anything, I love being a part of a team. But Raja was much more of a, he wore his emotions on his sleeve. He was combative, you know, by nature. Whereas I think Bruce was very calculated with that. You know, Raja wasn't the type of guy that was like, I love Raja Bell. One of my favorite teammates, people, you know, guy to play with. He, w but he wouldn't like, I'm going to give him a cheap shot here. No, like to, Roger was like, he's going to get dirty and mix it up when it, the game Roger was the guy who, when you right? get checked into the scores yeah. table, he's the right. first guy first there guy, to punch First somebody. guy, 100%. Yeah. And he's ready to throw down at any minute. But he's, I didn't see Roger as a guy, he will test you physically, but he's not like, um, let me get a quick cheap shot in here. He, you know what I mean? Like he, he was a little bit more honest in that sense that he's like, I'm going to battle you physically. And if we're going to get cheap, we're going to get cheap. I'll go there, but I'm not going to start off with like cheap. I'm just going to be in your ass. Well, Bowen, you'll get this as a Canadian <laughs> and a hockey guy. He was the hockey agitator. He was For like sure. Ken Linsman. Yeah. And just, he, and, just and walking he, by, you throwing the stick in your balls when the refs not yeah, sure. in. Yeah, sure. It was great. That's what he loved. And he, he did it well. <laughs> Well. I thought I actually think it's been forgotten how annoying those Spurs teams were because then w during their comeback tour during the LeBron era when they still stayed intact and people had kind of warmed up to Pop and Duncan and just they'd been together so long people really appreciated it and they forgot all the Bruce Bowen stuff all the com they did more complaining for calls than I think any team that decade the eye rolls and and their crowd was in a frenzy all the time yeah. about calls. And I really was annoyed why, just as a fan. And I think that's been lost. Um, I thought their style of uh, defending you was really smart. Mm -hmm. um, and we've seen it now. And it's the, it's the same style. Build a little wall. Have one person harassing the person you know is the, uh, the driver of the race car. Second person coming over. Yeah. Last person under the rim in case he actually gets yeah. to the rim. And you're just having to solve three things every time. Yeah, it was good. They're, they're, they've, I mean, pop. He's pop. I mean, pop. the guy was going to be a Russian spy. <laughs> uh, how are you supposed to be in a it playoff series? <laughs> he really was. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to mention for what stage the best Sean Marion's free throw stroke. Because we live in this world now where everybody shoots exactly the same. And mm. I miss the era of... Yeah, different weird techniques. And, and he was like 80%. He was a good free throw shooter. He was a weird one because he he would get hot sometimes. And then yeah. sometimes you, you'd be like, oh man, like... It's the, that that he doesn't have a chance, but overall he shot the ball pretty well. Like enough where you're like, he is another guy in today's game in his prime. Whew. Well, so he's guaranteed four. Yeah, 
For sure. And I mean, he played thinking, a lot of four for us. But yeah, but I think he, he would yeah, never have played small no, four. Exactly. And, and he's he thinking nine threes a game. And he he would have caused fours problems defensively with his quickness and athleticism the way they have to play today. Because today they're not just marching him down in the paint because it doesn't work the way, same right. way with the three seconds and the zoning. So, Sean, another guy, you know, would have greatly enjoyed this era. What's age the worst? Um, My hair. I had your hair in there, but I was hoping you were going to bring it up. Uh, the other thing about your hair is there was a lot of like having to reset it. it I don't know why you're doing that to it yourself. Was, it, was, it was a disgrace. It was like a lot of hair maintenance. I have no, uh, that was almost worse What's than the, the game is looking, but I don't know. Mid 2000s. It was, it was you're going through look. something. Yeah, it was something. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's going through it. I, my favorite thing about you with all this stuff is you, you love it. Like you love that when the, you and Dirk had the videos or the yeah. pictures when you guys were drunk. Yeah. Like you got a kick out of that, that those are in the world. Sorry, I'm human. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a human being <laughs> in my twenties who yeah, like exactly. to drink at two yeah. in the morning sometimes. Yeah. Uh, eight turnovers in this game for you. Yeah. yeah. I was surprised to see that. Yeah. But I they mean, were wearing you down. They, they did a good job. I, you know, I, I probably was a little careless, but that also, I don't mind four or five. You know, in that type of series, that type of yeah. game, you got to take a few risks, but there was three or four where I was just tired and great defense and tired mentally like just calm down um this is more of a talent thing that year but the there was like kind of a talent dearth that mm. i think we have a ton of talent now yeah. i actually think we could have 32 teams now and i think back then everybody was like six or seven deep and that's it and it was interesting even in like that game five that you you just didn't have enough players mm -hmm. you know and i think now you look at even what happened to golden state this in the finals where they lose Durant and they lose clay, but they're still bringing in guys who are actually like competent right. and could at least maybe cheat it for a quarter or two. And I thought on both sides, the talent, um, everybody was like seven deep during that era. It's an interesting point. We, yeah. we were always talking about whether we needed less teams. I remember that became a thing. Yeah. Should we contract? Um, I, I agree with you that now there's tons of talent now game is great so much talent and yeah. more forum so yeah. many more foreign players and yeah. players yeah. from all that's, different that's countries that's a great point you know like the game is truly global now you know it was changing when we were in the game it was obviously it was there's a lot of foreign players but now it's huge the other what's age the worst to me is just that god I, i'd forgotten about this why they didn't use that atlanta pick as a trade piece in February to try to get one other person. That seemed like in retrospect, like the logical move, because you have a chance to win the title. You have this pick. It might, you might not get it because it might be top three protected. But if anything, you're selling the chance that it might be a pick, which is actually still a you're real asset. high in a sense. Yeah. And they could have, they, it was remember, one move away. I don't remember this. You know, I really don't. But um, I like I said earlier, that, like that was a new ownership group. Right. I do think we also... You know, we know a lot. The way we we analyze the game and rosters and salary cap now is a lot different. You know, well, can I tell you what a guy named Bill Simmons wrote in two thousand seven in March? Well, please do. As he pleaded for them to trade yeah. this pick, <laughs> the Suns can guarantee immortality with one move. I mentioned the pick. Say they package that pick with Kurt Thomas's expiring or Marcus Banks' contract for one more blue tripper. What would happen if they added Richard Lewis or Mike Miller? And went seven deep the rest of the way. By the way, those guys were available. Richard Lewis was, I think, about to be a free agent. He would have been perfect. So would you? So you give up that lottery pick for Richard Lewis, and now he's on that team. I think you you run the table. You know, right? He, he was uh, like he was playing. He went on to play. 
I'm guessing. He went on he to went play on that, sign with Orlando. That, that, yeah. that stretch four. It was like one of the kind of early stretch Mike fours. Mike Miller would have been good on that team too. Mike Miller would have been great. Um, the, so another category here, what it, the best what if sliding doors moment, you know, sliding doors where it's like could go one way or the other. Um, talked about that pick. Here was one I didn't realize until I was watching the game. If Manu just makes the layup, he he misses a layup. Yeah, he beats Bell. Thirty seconds left, and he, he just was, back rims the he layup. He was a little off balance, but yeah, he, he you know Manu can make that. It's a shot he's made nine out of Manu ten times his whole yeah. career. If he just makes it, you call yeah. timeout. Right. Now you go offense, defense. Right. Amari and Kurt right. Thomas. Amari's in the game. Now you don't lose him for game five. And I was like, wow, that's actually the biggest shot of this whole season. I so feel, if it goes I in, feel great, Bill. This is yeah. a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, we're going to Nerd Corner. Uh, the other what if is what if they don't suspend those guys, but we already covered that. Nerd Corner, two things. How many threes did you make this entire series, do you think? Phoenix. Six games. Six games. You said we made five in this game? Yeah. Um, let me just throw out 32. 37. Like, I mean, to, I feel to, like you could have made 37 in, in one game if in, you had in, this team in 2020. Yeah, or at least in the ho two home games. Right. Like, or three, you know. Um, the other thing is you almost were a 50, 40, 80 offense hmm. during the regular season. 49.4 field goal, 39.9 three-point field goal, 80.8 free throw. Hmm. I, I was like flabbergasted by that. That's impossible. Nobody does that. That is. That is. Um, couple more quick awards. Who are the Warriors on that? That's a great they were never fifty. They were never 50, 40, 80, I don't think. 40 is ridiculous. They, people take too many threes now. Yeah, 40 is not yeah. realistic. Uh, the Deanne Waiters Award for best heat check. Brent Perry, five for eight with two threes off yeah, the bench of this game. game yeah. He had a couple of big shots. He did play well. The Grady Little Award for biggest coaching fuck up. <laughs> Pop's done this with Duncan a couple of times. As all due respect to Pop, Russian spy, seven titles, whatever he has. I just, I don't like keeping my best guy on the bench under four minutes with five fouls ever under any, just put that on my gravestone. Like just, you have to go back in with four minutes left. I don't care if you have five fouls and the ref is staring at you going, bring him back in. I'll call the sixth foul right now. I'm still putting you in. I don't want you on the bench with 242 left. I thought that was a mistake. Um, best chemist. I got to give it to my man, Jalen Rose. There's a great shot. You guys make a make a big play and they cut to the bench and Jalen does one of these and comes out with his fist up. So he wins the best chemist for best chemistry. Why wasn't Jalen playing that year? It's a good question. He He's could, still mad about it, just for the record, 12 yeah. years later. He thought he was going to play in game five when the guys got injured or it's got so, suspended. It's so long ago now, but I... I if I had to say it was was he in was he in good enough shape? Because he could still That's score. That's what the I ball. told him. I was like, Jalen, you weren't in shape. Look at the video. He he could still shoot it. He could really shoot it at that stage. You know, I don't know if he was moving, you know, as well as he could have, but uh He could I have mean, put him in the corner. hundred percent. I mean, that's why that's why I asked, because he could have been great, you know, on the perimeter offensively. Do you have out. a favorite Jalen Rose story? Uh, I I love playing with Jalen. He was great. I don't I don't like off the top of my head. I don't have one. You know what his real talent is? He can fall asleep on an airplane the moment he puts the seatbelt on. Th it's funny you say that. I, 
Talking about being a little fatigued in this series and at the end of the series, I was a terrible sleeper in my career. Like I could never yeah. shut it off. I would have been the biggest gift I could ever have if I could have fallen asleep like Jalen or Joe Johnson. Get on the Joe bus. Joe Johnson was out, one. Like, <laughs> right. I'm like, what? We just got on the bus. He's out. Like I've never seen anything like it. It's, it's amazing. And what he a, would wake up right as the plane was landing. Yeah. It was like what a he, talent. he somehow knew how to do I, it. I used to love doing the fall asleep 10 minutes before we get to Minnesota at 3 in the morning, <laughs> and then I can't sleep till 7 <laughs> in the morning. Sweet. Thanks for that 10 minutes, right? Like, couple more categories. Tim McCarver Memorial Broadcast Team Complaint Corner. I have none. This was Marvin Kerr at their mm, at their peak. That was peak. awesome. Yeah. It was so much fun listening to those guys. Kerr was so overqualified to do this. Apex Mountain, where we try to pick if this was somebody's career apex. I feel like Parker was probably never better than he was in this season. He ended up winning the finals MVP. I just feel like offensively. That year, yeah. Year yeah. I think he was at the peak of his yeah. offensive powers. I was surprised. I didn't realize he shot the ball that well this early. And it's like, I thought yeah. it came a couple, he was knocking down mid range. Like 24 yeah. still. Yeah, that's true. It's um, funny how time flies. I think he was Bowen, great. Bowen's at apex, whatever yeah. the hell he was doing game to yeah. game and all of his stuff. And, uh, I got it. I I think you're. I think this was your best season. So I'm throwing you in there. Yeah. Jalen, no, I'm not putting Jalen in. I think Jalen <laughs> had better times. But I thought as a chemist, maybe he was a good chemist. <laughs> he was. He was in the. Uh... Uh, for the Stern era, hysteria. This might have been Apex Mountain as well. Mm. All right, hottest retroactive take that I wish I had had in the moment. I wish I had thought of this. So if you win this title, if you get through this game, they don't call those suspensions and you actually win the title. I wonder if that speeds up where basketball goes, because as you were talking about earlier, this was the whole, the glass ceiling thing. Well, you can't actually win playing that way. And guys like Barkley on TV going, well, you know, you knew a little post guy, you can't win without a Tim Duncan. If you actually just win the title this year, does everyone emulate that? And now this becomes the new way we play basketball. What do you think? I think for sure it speeds things up. For sure. You know, I think it probably also would have would have given more credence to analytics earlier. People would have said trying to study the, that what was little going corner on. would have said, see, we you know, we've been saying this, this small little corner that no one listened to would have grown. We would have been more empowered. The rest of the league would have said, We don't have a Tim Duncan. What are we gonna do? Right. Can we figure out a way to play, spread the floor and open it up and, 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 and attack the paint through penetration, you know, and that's largely what we're seeing nowadays. The advanced metrics were not, I think it was about three years later. The yeah. Sloan conference was going back then, but it was still early. I remember I wrote my first kind of Sloan conference advanced metrics piece, probably at the end of this decade. And that was when the nerd community was really into you. Yeah. Oh yeah. They were like, look at this guy's true shooting. They and you do you hit all the check marks. Certain guys, when you go backwards, you're like, wow. Like Bird, same way. Like there's Dirk Nowitzki. I think there's a better appreciation for him now when you actually mm. understand the numbers better. But uh, the efficiency of this Suns team, I think, would have been more invoked. The uh, hottest retroactive take that I had a year later um, was about whether you guys should have come out of this season and gone for KG. Which we I know did. was in play, right? We did, but we couldn't pay him. You couldn't pay him because yeah, he wanted so like, an extension. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember the exact mechanism, but Kevin brought it up to me recently. 
we we did a I did a segment for his his show. Yeah, and he's like, I still remember when you called me and you're like, I, I don't, I'm I. You called him? Yeah, we talked. And he's like, Wait, you're like recruiting he, him? He, yeah, he. But he, what the story is that he respected me because I was like, I feel bad even making this call because we can't. You know, you, we're not going to we pay. We can't you. pay you what we give you, but if you ever wanted to be here for whatever reason, we would love to have you. And but we weren't going to extend him or whatever the whatever his opportunity was. We we weren't going to pay. And because this was the same summer when they trade Kurt Thomas with two number one picks to save money yeah. because they're afraid of the luxury tax. Yeah. It's funny, like picks now are so, so valuable. Yeah. For this reason, to save money as much as anything. Now, obviously you want to build your team through young talent and all that, but as much as anything, I feel like the draft gives you an opportunity to keep a guy on a scale rookie for scale. a long time. Five years short contract. It's, it's invaluable. And there we were, you know, just the way it was at that time. You know, we it wasn't looked upon, at least I don't think, as popularly to do that. Uh, you know, we almost looked at it like, what, we got to pay this rookie two, three million a year for four years? Instead of being like, perfect, where do we sign up, you know? So do you think, I don't think Stoudemire is in the KG deal, right? Or would he have been? Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember. Because KG and Stoudemire, I feel like, could have played together. Yeah. KG and Marion Isla could have played together. I would have liked it just for the KG stories from you because there's, yeah. I don't think anybody had more stories floating uh, around about teammate stories. I mean, the legendary, <laughs> all-time legendary yeah. teammate. He's um, hilarious. Who won the game? I hate to say it, but Robert Horry, who was done at this point, he flipped the series. Oh, you know what? I was I it was, was actually like a weirdly see, shrewd move. Yeah, I mean, amazing. You know, some of those guys, like, <laughs> I don't think he, at the time, I think he was just pissed. Yeah. Right? But he's a guy that won how many titles, made big shots, you know, like it just, I don't know what it is. Some guys are, you know, they they win no matter what they do, it it turns to gold. So, uh, and and I was surprised that Robert didn't play. Like he played 10 minutes nah, in the he game. Was, he was pretty I didn't shot realize. At that point, I, I, did, yeah. I thought maybe it was, you know, I thought his end was a little later. Yeah. You know, remembering that it was him that put me in the boards, my recollection that was he was more of a rotation guy, but he wasn't really. He was at um, the very end of it. The whole never won a ring thing, mm. you you don't think about it. You don't care. Or do you? No, I'm, no I mean, I care, of course. Um, but, but you I, don't I, feel unfulfilled as no, a basketball like I, player. I, I, look, you know, there's the rings culture and, like, the, you know, there's only one team that wins. And you got to have a lot of luck as well, right? You really do. And so I, not to discredit anyone's winning, but, like, it, it just didn't happen. Maybe it wasn't good enough. Maybe we didn't get the bounces. Only one team wins every year out of 30. Like, the odds are not great. Um, like, I can't – I'm not going to ruin my life by holding on to that forever, you know? Yeah, it hurt. Yeah, my anxiety was like when I started watching this game, knowing that we didn't win. But I don't carry it around with me. Um, you also had unusually bad luck because 3 yeah. Dirk hurts his knee. Mm. And I think that Dallas team had a real chance. The Spurs mm. team that ended up winning was basically just Duncan. It was a and really we, young Parker, we, a really and, young Ginobili, and, and we, you played them well. And we won a game without Dirk. Yeah. And then our good buddy Stevie Kerr comes in off the bench, hasn't played for a year and a half. I, I know. I'm exaggerating. And Sports made like movie. five threes in the fourth quarter. To not, I think that was the deciding game. Unbelievable shooting performance. Um, yeah. I mean, so you have that. You have Joe Johnson. Breaks, what did he break? His orbital his bone? orbital bone, I think, yeah. And in that, in that year... You have a very tired Spurs team and a very tired Duncan. You have Detroit the year after they won. 
And I've never really been totally satisfied with that finals, just whether the right team won or not. You know, sometimes the right team just doesn't win. I do think you guys would have had a real chance that year because it did seem like it was just open. And then 06, same thing. It was Miami yeah, that, ends up winning. That, Amari with, was out that year. 06, Amari was out. 05, and, Joe Johnson was out. And 06, Roger Torres Cav in the conference finals right. first game. Um, and then in 2010, this is really going to bum you out. The fucking run our test, yeah. catching the air ball. Yeah, Kobe missed by like five feet. He was at f- and by five feet. And and it, yeah, I mean, but that's I, it. I though. feel great. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is awesome. But that's the thing. You're in the mix. Yeah, and yeah. you need luck at some yeah, point. You for know? sure, for sure. And, and it's and like I, you look at the Raptors this year, and they they beat yeah. Philly because the ball bounces yeah. around the rim for ten sure. hours. And and you, and like even the Warriors, as great as they are. That first year they won, everyone they Lucky. played, someone was hurt. Yeah. Like, I, I can't remember who it was, but, like, that doesn't mean they didn't play the cards they were dealt or the Raptors didn't play. The, but that started an, a dynasty uh, on a year. In a sense, they got a little luck the first year, and then they got a little unlucky with the Draymond thing the year they lost. So I always look at this stuff because I, I think about the KG Celtics this way. It was a five-year run. I think the over-under for titles was one and a half, and they went under. Mm. You know, I think the over-under for you guys was one. For if you go 05 yeah. through 08 Suns, if you're betting on it, knowing everything, looking at the assets you guys have, it was one or one and a half. Spurs, you know, with that the Duncan era, you would have maybe said four. They won five. But it's like you're somewhere around there and you need breaks. And every year it comes down to one injury or yeah. one break or one guy misses a layup that leads to this or all that. But um I'm glad you watched this, though. I'm, I, I, I was worried you were going <laughs> to yeah. do it. And I've ne- I never watch anything. Never. Even when I played, I didn't like to watch. I think I always worked so hard and was always first in the gym and last to leave that I just was like, I remember what happened, and I kept kind of figuring it out in my brain as I'd go. But to a fault, I didn't watch a lot. And so this it was weird to watch a full, full game. Steve Nash, thanks for being the Book of Basketball. <laughs> thanks for having me. 